This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, corruption and mind alteration, and casual ableism and sexism. The views expressed by the characters do not reflect the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 281. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I'm your host, Chris Lester. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fiction, available in audio for the first time anywhere. I'll also tell you the latest on my writing endeavors. More on that later in the show. For now, let's get to this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 22 in my Metamore City novel, Making the Cut. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 259 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. Daniel Shirabi is continuing his quest to adapt to life as an androgyne. A big part of being a sex shifter is being able to change back and forth to one's birth form, but so far, Daniel hasn't figured out how to do it. Selindy hasn't been any help on that front either. Ava has been a part of Evan since they were about a year old, so their ability to shift back and forth is completely instinctive. Ava thinks that Daniel's inability to shift may have something to do with desire. He hasn't been able to return to his male shape because, on a subconscious level, he doesn't want to. What this says about Daniel's subconscious is unclear. While out shopping for more feminine clothes, Danny got a call from Jared Tamlin, the latent teep whom he met at the club the night before. Jared invited Danny to join him for dinner tonight, and not having any other plans, Danny said yes. After he rang off, Danny returned to his shopping with a new sense of urgency. This would be his first date with a man, and for some reason, Danny wanted to look his best for Jared. Upon returning home, Danny was accosted by one of his roommates, Nathan, the socially awkward computer cracker. This was Nathan's first encounter with Danny's transformed body, and he found himself both smitten and tongue-tied. Danny was annoyed at his ogling, but then Nathan surprised him with a request. He's part of a group of amateur researchers gathering data on the curse, and he'd like Danny's permission to record video of his transformations. For as pervasive as the curse is in Metamore City, there's a strong cultural reluctance to actually study how it works. Nathan's group is hoping to peel back some of the mystic nonsense surrounding the curse to look at it through a more scientific lens. Danny said he would think about it. Making the Cut A novel of Metamore City Written and read by Chris Lester 
Chapter 22. So, what do you think? What do I think? Danny cast an appraising eye at the room around them. I think you've got some class, Mr. Tamlin. And, apparently, some money. Danny had never eaten at the Panoramic before. The restaurant was built into the upper levels of the eastern minaret of Caia Citadel. Its outer wall was one unbroken array of windows, three and a half meters high from floor to ceiling. The restaurant slowly revolved on its axis, so anyone who ate there was eventually treated to a full 360-degree view of the city below. The restaurant itself boasted dark hardwood tables, genuine leather on the seat cushions, and small, elegant artistic touches throughout, from the Sathmoran carvings on the support pillars to the gold trim on the crystal wine glasses. So, what exactly do you do for a living that you can afford to eat like this? Danny asked, quirking an eyebrow at him. Investment analyst? Casino owner? International hitman? Jared chuckled as the rims of his ears turned red with embarrassment. Nothing so exotic, he said. I'm actually a psychologist for the MCPD. Danny blinked. So what, you help the cops figure out whether they're going crazy? Sometimes, Jared said, smiling. Fitness for duty assessment is what we call it. You can see some pretty terrible things when you're a cop. I give them a safe place to talk over what happened to them, process their feelings. When they're ready, I clear them to go back to work. He shrugged. There are other parts of the job, too. I help screen applicants to make sure they're stable enough to work in the force, or if they're likely to be vulnerable to corruption. I examine defendants to make sure they're competent to stand trial. Sometimes I help with hostage negotiations. Whoa, Danny said. What's that like? Jared grimaced. Not fun. I, um, I don't really like to get into the details. Danny gave him what he hoped was a sympathetic expression. Hey, okay. His hand reached out and found Jared's, clasping it across the table. Their emotions briefly wrapped around each other, and he could feel an old hurt lingering there, one Jared wasn't ready for him to touch. Danny brushed up against the surface of the memory and then withdrew, signaling that he wasn't going to pry about it. Jared sent a wave of gratitude toward him in return, and they both smiled a little. So, Danny said, shifting the conversation back to safer ground, everything I've heard says cops don't make very much. How'd you score this? Well, shrinks do make more than your average detective, Jared said. His posture grew more relaxed, and a playful smirk came onto his face. Not enough to eat here often, but I figured tonight was special. Why's that? Some sort of anniversary you were planning on celebrating? No, he said, winking. Unless you count the 24-hour anniversary of when we met. Danny frowned. Jared, I've seen the waiting list for this place. It takes weeks to even get a table for two. You're going to tell me that you just decided to bring me here on the spur of the moment and you actually got a table? He shrugged helplessly. What can I say? I stopped by earlier and asked if they had an opening. It turned out somebody had canceled their reservation, so that's when I called you. No mystery about it, just a little luck. Danny smirked at him. Are you always that lucky, Mr. Tamlin? 
Jared steepled his fingers and peered at Danny from behind them. "'What's the matter, Miss Shirabi?' he asked, his voice velvet-smooth and cultured like a spy-movie villain. "'Becoming suspicious about my master plan?' Danny leaned in close over the table and matched his expression. "'Of course.' Everyone knows that the psychologist is always the evil mastermind, out to seduce the heroine with his villainous wiles. Don't be silly, Jared said. Men can't have wiles. That's women's turf. They even call them feminine wiles. I would have thought you'd know all about that. Mm, Danny purred. Maybe I'm just not very good at being a woman, hmm? Jared leaned in until their noses were almost touching. If you start to make any mistakes, he said huskily, believe me, I'll let you know. Danny sat back, suddenly uncomfortable. He tried not to grimace. This was skirting too close to something he'd hoped he wouldn't need to bring up yet. Unfortunately, Jared saw the change in his expression and misinterpreted it. I'm sorry, he said, his eyes looking worried. That was too much too fast, wasn't it? I didn't mean... No... Danny said, putting up a hand to forestall any further apologies. It's not you, really. I just... He let out a frustrated sigh. Jared cocked his head and peered at him closely, but his eyes were gentle and kind. If you don't want to tell me, it's all right. I do understand. Danny shook his head. No, it's probably best I told you anyway. He took a deep breath. I'm an androgyne. The truth is that I'm not very good at being a woman yet. There's still a lot I'm getting used to. Jared smiled sympathetically. I take it you weren't attracted to men before the change? No. Danny lowered his eyes. If that's too weird for you, I'll understand. Jared shook his head. I've lived in the city my whole life, Danny. I know a lot of androgynes, and I've dated several of them. Off Danny's surprised look, he added, Oh, sure. Androgynes usually make great lovers, and not just because of the high sex drive. There's something to be said for dating a person who knows how a man's brain works. He reached across the table and offered his hand. It doesn't bother me, Danny. As long as you don't expect me to have sex with you while you're a man, I'm cool with it. He shrugged and smiled. Nothing against bisexuals, I'm just not one of them. Danny returned the smile and took his hand. It's a deal, he said. So, I take it you've dated outside the collective? I grew up in the creche, and I never saw many androgynes there. Jared nodded. My telepathy's weak enough that it isn't a danger to Mondays. Plus, honestly, most teep women would rather be with someone who has some measurable talent. Believe me, I've noticed, Danny said dryly. <laughs> I guess you would have. Jared said, chuckling. Still, I miss the link when it isn't there. Just because I can have sex without entering a gestalt doesn't mean I enjoy it. Well, he amended. Not as much, anyway. The waiter arrived then and took their orders, and the rest of the dinner went surprisingly well. Danny found himself growing increasingly comfortable in Jared's company. His relaxed demeanor and good humor were infectious. Their conversation ranged all over the map, from collective politics to their misadventures in college. Jared, it seemed, had had relatively little to do with the collective. 
Born to mundane parents, he had been tested by the Hive at age 18, after he discovered that he could hear his girlfriend's thoughts when they made love. The Hive quickly deduced that he was a latent telepath, but his power was so faint that they judged that it wasn't worth their time to train him in anything more than the basics of using it. Jared soon realized that he would always be a second-class citizen if he joined the Hive, so he stayed in the mundane world and kept only casual connections with the rest of the Psy community. Danny found it liberating to talk to such a kindred spirit, and the bottle of wine that Jared ordered helped to further loosen his tongue. He was careful not to talk about Victor, or the Vampire Syndicate, or the deaths of Del and Trace, but he shared stories of his younger life without hesitation. By the time their dessert came, it was obvious that Jared had been paying closer attention to what Danny said than he had. So where's Rebecca now? he asked. Danny looked up in surprise. Sorry? Well, she keeps coming up when you talk about your life. Based on your body language and your tone of voice, I gather that she's still alive and that the two of you are still close. He must have seen something else in Danny's reaction to that, because he leaned forward, and Danny saw his own sadness reflected in his eyes. But apparently not as close as you'd like to be, he added softly. Danny looked away, flustered. That's, um, wow. He laughed nervously. I've never dated a psychologist before. It's kind of scary that you can do that without telepathy. I'm sorry, Jared said. He sounded like he meant it. It's hard to turn off the instincts once you have them. I just want to know what I'm getting into here. I can sympathize, Danny said. He took a drink of water and sighed. Yes, I still love Rebecca. If she ever needed me, I would be there for her in a heartbeat. But she's in a breeding cell now, and she's pregnant with someone else's kid. He did not add that he hoped to get inside that breeding cell himself someday. Most telepaths didn't have a problem with the idea that you could love more than one person at a time. A deep gestalt made the concept of jealousy impossible, since every other person in the bond basically became a part of you. The whole social structure of the collective was based on that principle. But Jared hadn't grown up inside the collective, and Danny wasn't sure yet how comfortable he was with the idea of polyamory. For that matter, he wasn't even sure how Rebecca and her cellmates would feel about bringing Danny into the breeding cell. For now, he was content to leave Jared with the impression that it was over between him and Becca, even if he hoped that wouldn't always be the case. Jared winced. It's hard getting stuck on the outside. I've been there my whole life. Danny nodded. I'm sick of it. I'm sick of other teeps looking at me like I'm pathetic and useless. Do you know how hard it is to get people to respect you as a person when they look at you and all they feel is pity? Gods, it's like being... Blind? Jared suggested quietly. The words stopped Danny in his tracks. He was suddenly aware of the anger in his own voice, and it surprised him with its intensity. He'd been suppressing more than he realized. Yeah, he whispered. Blind. Or deaf. Or crippled. Jared reached over and took his hand. And that's why you decided to become a woman? His voice was soft and gentle, but his hand felt strong and steady against Danny's own. Danny found himself squeezing that hand, 
taking comfort in that strength, and that surprised him too. He felt his eyes getting misty, and he squeezed Jared's hand more tightly. Yes, he said quietly. The way I figure it, at least this way I'll get some respect. He let out a humorless laugh. <laughs> the hive can always use more potential mothers, right? Jared frowned a little. So why come to me? There must be stronger teeps in the collective who would love to date a woman as beautiful as you. Why were you interested in me? Danny blushed and leaned in closer. Because you know what it's like when nobody wants you. Jared leaned in as well. I wouldn't say nobody, he whispered. They looked into each other's eyes for a long moment, their faces only centimeters apart. Danny's eyes fluttered briefly downward. Jared's mouth looked strong and inviting. A rush of thoughts passed through his head in a blur. Do I really want this? he wondered. Is this part of who I am now? Am I doing this because it feels right, or is this just part of my plan to get Rebecca? Am I just using Jared to test my own sexuality, like some kind of lab rat? Or is this kinship I feel with him part of something real? Jared smiled at him, desire glinting in his eyes, and another thought replaced the others. Stop thinking so hard. Danny closed his eyes and kissed him. The reaction from Danny's body was as sudden and surprising as touching a live wire. A spasm of raw need shot through him. No, through her and her doubts and hesitancy evaporated into non-existence. There was no coherent thought to it at all, no justification or analysis. There was only the drive to touch, and to be touched in return. Danny moaned and grabbed Jared's head in both hands, deepening the kiss. She heard other customers murmuring around them, but she didn't care. If she could have climbed across the table and straddled him there in the restaurant, she would have done it. She gasped when they came up for air, then looked straight into Jared's eyes. We have to get out of here, she said. The waiter had not even brought the check yet. Jared looked at her searchingly, his dark eyes unreadable. Then he pulled three fifty-mark bills out of his wallet and placed them on the table. They boarded the lift and took the long, twelve-hundred-meter ride back to the parking garage without saying another word. Their mouths were busy with other things. Sunday, June 2nd Danny Sharabi stood naked in front of her bedroom mirror, looking blankly at her own reflection. She ran her hands over the lines of her face, feeling the soft skin of her cheeks, the curving bow of her lips. She closed her eyes and remembered the night before— when strong, masculine hands had touched that skin, and a man's mouth had moved against her own. Why had she kissed him? More to the point, why had kissing him felt like the right thing to do? And what in the seventh hell had happened to her afterwards? She didn't understand who she was anymore. She had gone from nervous indecision to wanton need in the space of two seconds, from a simple, godstamped kiss. That wasn't normal. She was pretty sure it wasn't normal even for androgynes. Even Ava, who had been frank about her attraction to Danny from the beginning, had still had enough presence of mind to say no when she needed to. 
not like me. She thought back to Jared Skimmer in the Citadel parking lot, where she had tried to pull down his pants and mount him there in the front seat. Jared had stopped her by rolling her over into her own seat, and then buckling her into the harness while she was busy trying to loosen his belt. He threw himself back into his own seat with a visible effort of will, then covered up the buckle of her harness with one outstretched hand to keep her from disengaging it. She had struggled against the belts for at least ten seconds before the thought had even occurred to her. Snap out of it, Danny! But I want... Not like this. Never like this. You're drunk and I won't take advantage of that. She'd said some rather unkind things at that point, which he had graciously ignored. When she finally gave up and collapsed into sullen silence, he started the skimmer and took her straight home. She'd gone to her room and collapsed on her bed in an ugly mood. When Kevin knocked on her door to check on her, she pretended to be asleep. She closed her eyes and thought about Rebecca. She remembered being Daniel and holding her in his arms, embracing her, making love to her. She remembered Rebecca's smile, the one that could light up a room instantly. She remembered their first night together on Rebecca's sixteenth birthday. They had snuck out of the crèche a little after midnight and gone down to a vacant office a few stories below the Westfall campus, where they had broken in a few nights before in hidden blankets, pillows, and sleeping bags. She remembered their sour faces as they tried the beer that Della had acquired for them, and the heady, giddy feeling from the cannabis cigarettes. She remembered entering Rebecca for the first time, and the mingled feelings of pain and pleasure that had echoed through their telepathic bond. She remembered Rebecca's body moving above Daniel's, her soft curves traced in moonlight, while he reached up and ran his teenaged hands clumsily over her breasts. I miss you, she thought. And with that, her body began to change. The transformation was faster this time, and the sensations that came with it seemed less intense. Daniel had expected that. If androgynes were racked by orgasmic pleasure every time they changed forms, he suspected that they might never leave their bedrooms. The changes ceased, and Daniel opened his eyes to look at his familiar masculine form. Glossy black hair still fell to his shoulders, and his body was still hairless from the neck down, but other than that, he looked the same as he had before taking the potion two nights ago. He pulled on a t-shirt and a pair of boxers, then went out to the living room and grabbed the phone. He punched in the numbers harder than he probably needed to. The phone rang, and he began to pace restlessly through the room. The other end picked up after the fourth ring. Mm, hello? A man's voice said blearily. Evan? There was a pause. Just a minute. Another pause, longer this time. When he spoke again, his voice was lower. Daniel? We need to talk, Evan. Yes, well, could you do it a little quieter? I have company over. Gods, do you have any idea what time it is? Daniel glanced at the clock on the stove. 8.23. Most of our friends in the Ecclesia are probably at their morning services by now. Evan groaned. Bloody barbaric, if you ask me. I didn't, actually. Evan, listen to me. 
The spell that your wizard friend gave you to imitate the effects of the curse. Are you sure that it works exactly the same way? Yeah, I'm sure. Daniel could hear the frown in Evan's voice. Well, Artax said that it's as close to a perfect copy as he could make it. And you trust his competence in this? Yes, Daniel. For God's sake, the man's been doing magic longer than our parents have been alive. He has over ten thousand citations in the Minology journals. He'd be a bloody archmage by now if he didn't hate the politics so much. All right, I get the picture. He took a deep breath, then let it out. I think I've been enchanted, Evan. Someone's screwing with my mind. What makes you say that? Briefly, Daniel described what had happened in the restaurant, the lift, and the parking garage. You're right. That isn't normal, Evan said. Meet me at Artax's shop at, let's say, noon. The old git probably won't be open before then anyway. Don't worry, Daniel. If anything dodgy is going on, Artax will get to the bottom of it. Daniel nodded to himself. All right. Thanks, Evan. No worries. Might I make a request in return? What's that? Promise me now, if you ever want to talk to me again before ten o'clock on a Sunday morning, that it will be as Danny, that she will be in my bed, and that she will be naked. Because I swear, if you attempt such a conversation again under any other conditions, I am going to have to kill you. And that's the end of chapter 22. Come back next time, when Danny and Evan are off to see the wizard, and Danny gets some unsettling news about the changes that have happened to her. Margaret Atwood said, A word after a word after a word is power. So, let's see what powers I've brought to bear this week. It's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of March 20th through March 26th. I wrote 3,861 words this week, over the course of six hours, for an average writing speed of 644 words per hour. As of Friday night, I've gone 341 days without breaking my chain. I made more progress this week on learning the ropes, working on it on five out of seven days. I've skipped a lot of writing days this month to work on the podcast, so this week I took a break from recording and editing to just focus on writing. I'm trying to get back into a rhythm on this story, which hasn't gone as smoothly as I would have liked. Now that I've gotten through the preliminaries and I'm into writing the sex and bondage parts, I'm finding that I'm getting these periodic attacks of self-consciousness and doubt. Is this any good? I ask myself. Will anyone want to read this? I have to keep reminding myself to set aside that inner critic, and as Atwood said, keep putting a word after a word after a word. The manuscript is now about 7,400 words. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082 
followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester. The fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook. And our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi. If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2021 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.